Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. For me, it, it all started about 7.25 in the morning. I had already been at the airport, Tampa, not Sarasota, for my assigned hour and a half ahead of time. And Delta could not have possibly gone any slower at the baggage drop-off. So <clears throat> I missed that first little tram to the gate, and I watched as the precious minutes started to tick by on the clock. So of course, when I got to TSA, there's that family, and you know that family. They have eight kids and three strollers and two car seats and are completely unprepared to go through the metal detector. They were right in front of me. And so obviously my gate was the furthest away and um, it was now too late to grab breakfast that I didn't grab earlier because it was too early to have breakfast. But as it turns out, there is good news. I made it to the gate in plenty of time to wait with all of the other anxious travelers. Because you know what happens when they get ready to start boarding the plane? Everybody has their assigned seat unless you're flying southwest, but on Delta, everybody has their assigned seat, and it makes no difference. It makes no difference because people think that if you crowd the gate, like if you stampede in on them, and then you run over 15 people, that your seat is magically going to change. So, so we finally get there, and, and we finally get on the plane, and, and we sat. And I know you're waiting to see if something else happens, but it didn't. We just... We just sat, and then we sat for some more, and then, and then we sat for 30 minutes before the pilot got on and explained that there was trouble with the runway. Not with the plane, but with the runway, there's a problem. And he said, it should not be long at all. He lied. He lied. 25 minutes later, he returns, and he announces that the runway is unbalanced. I, I did not know a runway could be unbalanced, but it was <laughs> unbalanced, and now there was one runway in and out of Tampa International Airport, but do not be afraid, he said, we are number eight in line for takeoff. So <clears throat> I, like, like any reasonable person would do, decided that this was an appropriate time to look at my connecting flight's boarding pass. And what I discovered was that under the best possible scenario, meaning that my flight had left on time, there was a half hour for me between landing in Salt Lake City and departing for San Jose. So I was really worried. I was really, really worried. Well, the flight takes off and I had four hours to sit there. Four hours to sit there and by the sheer force of my will and my worry, convince both physics and aerodynamics to somehow miraculously defy all of their laws and make it into Salt Lake on time. Now, the second that the plane hit the tarmac, I did two things. I looked out the window where I could actually see the plane for my departing flight. I have a picture of that for you, see? See how close it was? It's like right there, but so far away. And then the next thing that I did was I texted my friend who was meeting me in Salt Lake. He had just flown in from Charlotte, asking him 
And I kid you not, if he would make a scene at the new gate so that he could delay things until I could get there because now I was beyond worried. And I was in this frenzied state of both panic and anger because I was certain that the pilot of the plane that I was currently on was intentionally driving as slow as humanly possible to our gate. And that the people in front of me woke up that morning and thought, how can I move even slower getting off of this plane so that Hope misses her next flight? And then I saw it, I saw the luggage door for the departing flight close up. Now friends, your pastor runs a little bit, but on, thi on this day two weeks ago, I did wind sprints that would make Usain Bolt look like an old man. I was going so fast that I actually blew past my friend who was standing at the gate waiting for me. So long story short, I made the flight, but no sooner did I sit down in that seat trying to convince myself that at some point I was going to breathe again, a whole new worry overtook me, my luggage. I was going to end up in San Jose, but my luggage was going to hang out in Salt Lake. But be not afraid, your pastor is smart, and I had planned for this, so I had stuck in a pair of, of uh, spare clothes in my carry-on, and now my worry was downgraded. Now I wasn't worried, now I was just generally annoyed and unhappy. Because this is not how I wanted to start my first trip away from the church in over six months. So it's really amazing, isn't it? It's amazing when we study the scripture because we are we're so quick to identify and dismiss the parts that we think don't apply to us because we figure, you know, probably not ever going to murder anybody. It's not likely that I'm going to steal my neighbor's car. So we just kind of dismiss that stuff. But then there's other parts of scripture that we also like to gloss over because on some level, they hold up a mirror to ourselves, who we know ourselves to be and, and who we're somewhat bothered to be. And worry is one of those places that, that all of us struggle with because it exposes some things about us that, that we don't really want to confess to. It exposes our desire to control things. It exposes our lack of trust, sometimes even our lack of faith. It exposes our self-centeredness. Did I actually think that the whole conference was going to come to a complete halt because I missed a flight somewhere along the way? As Jesus has, has walked us through the Sermon on the Mount, he's looked at behaviors that we already have. All of us, all of us have participated in worry at some point. He sees and shows us where those behaviors and attitudes get off track, and then he points us in directions that we can take tangible directions that we can take to grow as followers in Christ and, and to stabilize our lives in a way that makes us useful for the kingdom of God. Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? That's, that's a good question. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? And most of us are going to say this. Well, yes, but. Now, Jesus isn't denying that, that we need to eat. He's the one that prayed, give us this day our daily bread. 
And he is not advocating that we all become a naked society. Jesus ate, Jesus wore clothes. He's all about those two things. He is not against either of them. But what he is concerned about is that they will consume us. That we will get so wrapped up in those things that we will not be able to do anything else. Whenever I talk to out-of-towners about Bradenton, I, I will often tell them that what we value in Bradenton is the early bird special and lunch and dinner times. And I know this as a pastor because I can pretty much schedule things whenever I want. But if I schedule them during early bird special or during everyone's assigned lunch or dinner time, nobody's coming because we are consumed. We are consumed by that, that time frame. Friends, you know, there's more to life. There is more to life than the early bird seafood special at the Oyster Bar. And there are several, several documented cases, even some in this room, of people who have actually survived having missed lunch at their assigned time period. It's happened. Likewise, with our clothing, it turns out, it turns out that a $1.99 shirt from the Goodwill will provide your body with just as much coverage as a $35 shirt from American Eagle. In fact, in fact, what I've recently learned is that sometimes you can find that $35 American Eagle shirt for $1.99 at the Goodwill. Jesus doesn't want us to waste our lives chasing things that really aren't eternal and do not really make a difference to the world. So to put this in perspective, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Now, Jesus is going old school here, at least Old Testament on the people. He's reminding us that at the beginning of creation, we were set above all else. We were given dominion over everything, and yet, and yet despite that, God still cares about the birds. <clears throat> and if God cares about the birds and we're over the birds then how much more does God care about us? And if God cares and provides for them, then certainly God is going to care and provide for us. Here's the next great question that Jesus asks. And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? Now think about that. Can you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? On those flights two weeks ago, there was not a single thing that I could do to change the outcome. I certainly cannot balance a runway. I cannot pilot a plane. I cannot change the laws of aerodynamics. I could not even convince the lady in front of me to move any faster than a half-dead slug. So if I can't do any of those things, what would it make me think, or any of us think, that worrying is somehow going to miraculously add a single hour to our lives. Because if anything, worrying does just the opposite. It steals our joy. It distracts us from what's important. It causes us to waste and miss hours that we do have. 
What a great way for the devil to completely disrupt the kingdom than by getting all of us so focused on our worries that we don't actually do anything. And why do you worry about clothing, Jesus says. You know, this is the second time he's talked about clothing, so this must have been an issue. This, this must have been an issue in, in the ancient world um, for those early followers. Consider the lilies of the field, he says, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, this is King Solomon, in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Do you see what he did there? If you've been tracking with me through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Jesus is pretty good at putting in these little tiny digs that the original audience would have heard. And what he does is he brings up the Gentiles. He says, now look, you guys are my followers. But the Gentiles, the not my followers yet, they're, off there, they're out there leading a life that's in the world. And you don't want to be like them. So he brings that up and he wants his followers to understand that that they're called to be different, to make choices and, and adopt attitudes and behaviors that don't follow the same pattern as everybody else. The Gentiles are consumed with their worry about their food. Remember, remember how worried everybody was about the wine at Cana? That's a, that's a big deal. That, that story was consumed with so much worry that we still talk about it today, about how Jesus had to go in and, and turn that water into wine. And they worry about their clothing because back then it had just as much status as we have put on it today. Because we often get the impression that, that clothing is somehow going to transform us and change our lives. If we just wear what everybody else is wearing and we just do what everybody else is doing, well, if we do that, we'll be just like everybody else. And Jesus wants us to understand that God thinks much more of us than that. That, that he is going to transform our lives. He doesn't leave us to be like the rest of the world. He calls us to be set apart as his children and heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And the thing about the kingdom of heaven that we most often misunderstand is that it starts here on earth and that we can be a part of it in the here and now. So then what do we do? If we're not going to let worry consume us, what do we do with all the free time that we will now have? Jesus says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what we're supposed to do when we give up our worries, we're supposed to strive for the kingdom of God. What would that look like? Well, in the kingdom of God, we know that there will be justice for all. That in the kingdom, people, all people, will have tremendous value and will be treated with love and respect. In the kingdom of God, things will be eternal, not disposable, and so we will care for the kingdom as it was intended to be cared for in creation. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king, and, and although he will rule, he's going to do so with abounding love and endless grace. And then since we're ones who have received that grace and love, we will then get the opportunity to generously share and give it to others. In the kingdom of God, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Sins are forgiven and people will be made new. 
But here's the spoiler alert. We can be working on all of those things right now. But we don't. I mean, we'd like to, but we've got so much stuff on our minds, so much worry. For example, I would have loved, loved to have helped that elderly lady that I almost ran over at my departure gate for my flight, but I didn't. I didn't because mentally, mentally I was worried that the three seconds that it would have taken for me to help her get her suitcase upright would have been the three seconds that caused me to miss my own flight. Do, do you see how our worries in big and small ways keep us from living out the kingdom right now? We don't think of it that way, but that's exactly what is happening. We are so consumed with our own worries that we can't possibly strive for the kingdom. Now, have you all thought about what would have happened if I had missed that connecting flight? I mean, have you spent some serious time thinking about what that would mean for us as a church if I had missed that flight? I, the first thing that would have happened would be I would have had to have taken a later flight. And that means that I would have gotten into San Jose a little bit later. And I probably would have been late for the conference. And I might have missed the first lecture and possibly even the group dinner. Now, I want you to imagine what that means for us as a church. What, what could have possibly been contained in that lecture that holds the key to our entire life as a church family together? Do you have any idea how dumb that sounds? Do you know what that lecture was about? It was about Karl Barth's understanding of the doctrine of reconciliation and how we understand glory in light of Paul's interpretation of it in Romans. Do you know how vastly different our church would be if I had missed that lecture? Do you have any idea what that would have done to a Sunday morning? It was a great lecture. But the truth of the matter is, after a week's worth of great lectures, I'm not even sure I remember enough of it to dramatically alter the course of our life and ministry together. And that group dinner, do you know what we had for dinner that night? I don't, I don't either, because it ended up not being all that important, and it was at camp and mystery meat and all that kind of stuff. But, but now think about that. I spent an entire day traveling clear across the country, worrying about it. So much wasted kingdom time. And Jesus knows this about us. He knows that we are prone to worry even about really stupid stuff that in light of eternity is going to make absolutely no difference at all. And knowing this about us, knowing how much time we're capable of wasting Jesus closes out this section of the sermon with this one last admonition. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So at the very least, Jesus says, don't get ahead of yourself with your worry. Each day you get up, you are going to have opportunities to strive for the kingdom of God. 
And each and every day, you are going to have to decide if you're going to let your worry consume your time and your energy that's going to distract you from striving for the kingdom. And every single day, that is going to be as much as you can handle. So Jesus says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Let's just, let's just do today. Let's just focus on today. Strive for the kingdom today. Deal with today's stuff. Don't get ahead of yourself because it's already a lot of transformative work just to process today. At least give yourself the grace of knowing that you can try again tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. Now, you probably already picked up on the fact that I made all the flights that day. And in fact, I made it from Salt Lake to San Jose early, early. My luggage showed up at the exact same time that I did. And so after hours and hours and hours of worrying, of rushing, of ignoring the kingdom calling and possibly knocking down an elderly old lady, my friend and I showed up at the conference two hours early, and that was after we stopped for lunch and ice cream. So consider, consider the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field, consider that God can and does handle all of it and all of you. So don't worry so much. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that we are worriers and we let our worry consume us. We let it consume us to the point that, that we become completely catatonic when it comes to getting out there and striving for the kingdom of God. So we pray for your forgiveness, but we also pray Lord, that in your mercy, you would calm our hearts, that you would help us to understand that at the very least, we just have to worry about today, and that your transformation is an ongoing, lifelong process that we get to start anew every morning. In your name we pray, amen.